0: Again, I remind you that the reason why the Creed is traditionally recited either right before or right after the sermon is because that is orthodoxy, and you're to test the word preached to see if it matches up with what God's word says. They may notice that we now have green pyramids. That means we've entered into Trinity season or ordinary time. So periodically during ordinary or Trinity season, we may deviate off of the text that we have in our threefold reading. We will be doing that this morning. We'll be in the Gospel of John. Do you want to start all over? Our text this morning is drawn from John chapter 3. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd open your word to us. We pray that you make us wise according to it, and that you would lead us and guide us to do it. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1962, Centralia, Pennsylvania was a lively coal mining town of 1,500 residents. In May of 1962, the town council decided to set fire to the strip mine dump in order to get rid of the coal refuse. Instead, the fire spread through a hole in the ground, setting the underground coal on fire. The town has been burning ever since with smoke engulfing the town from cracks in the ground and is expected to keep burning for 250 years. Today, life is destroyed and only five people remain. Centralia has died with no hope of resurrection. Adam set the human race on fire at the fall, and humanity was destroyed and died. But with the coming of Christ, there is hope of renewal and resurrection. This morning, we'll look at the Gospel of John and see new birth for the whole earth, new birth for the whole earth. good. now open of your Bibles, John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And it says there, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now I want you to mark out a few things in your mind. First of all, notice that Nicodemus comes at night. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's a Pharisee, but he comes at night. This means he doesn't want people to see him. He's coming secretly to Jesus. Secondly, his name is Nicodemus. Nika means victory of, and Demus, some of you know this from school, Demus is the people. His name means victory of the people. Mark that in your mind as well. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin the 70 elders that ruled over Israel in the first century. He is one who believes, but it's in seed form. He wants to believe, but he can't contrast all these things. He can't process all these things that Jesus is doing and saying. He acknowledges Jesus is a God-sent rabbi, but he struggles with the idea that Jesus is the God-sent Messiah. Going on to verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. One must become like a new baby. The problem for Nicodemus is he has Pharisaic prejudices, presuppositions, and opinions. Opinions that were gathered up from rabbinic teaching and from the Old Testament saints trying to understand this concept of Messiah. And there's all this culture smog as it were, so that he can't see who Jesus is. These opinions must be washed away in newness. The idea of Messiah is of a Davidic Maccabean fleshly Messiah. One who's going to come and reestablish the fleshly geographic kingdom of Israel in the Middle East. But instead, Jesus is the Savior of the world who is divine. He needs to see the kingdom in order to see the kingdom means that one is to enter the kingdom you need to see the kingdom to enter it going on to verse 4 nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born nicodemus's question dovetails exactly with the problem you see nicodemus's problem is his ideas are too small they're too fleshly in focus he doesn't see who Jesus is in his vastness and what Jesus is bringing in its vastness and I want to submit that sometimes we as evangelicals can fall into this problem as well we begin to think that our religion is just simply private religion that it has no bearing on the culture around us that what we do is religious and timeless and has no effect in time and space We believe in submission to the state, and so we make our religion small. Whatever the government says to do, we will do that, rather than seeing the kingdom of God unpacking itself in time and space. We give over the discipleship of our children to the government, rather than seeing the power and the vastness of the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. Going on to verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now we've got the concept here. Baptism, baptism with water, baptism with the Spirit, being born again. Gentiles during the first century Were oftentimes baptized into Judaism. It symbolized putting away their old life as Gentiles, as pagans, and taking on a new life as a member of the covenant community, the people of Israel. And John's baptism represented that which was outward, that must be done inward. Now hear the words of John the Baptist in John chapter one and verse thirty-three. John says, "I myself did not know him," speaking of Jesus. But He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And we saw that in Pentecost recently. For you see, Israel must be born again. Israel must be born again. Israel must be born anew in the coming of the Messiah. In the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and friends, all must be born again. Are you born again? Now the Bible doesn't teach on altar calls. The Bible doesn't teach anything about praying for salvation. People merely come to believe. And sometimes that happens in very mysterious ways. We see that John the Baptist and apparently David had faith when they were in their mother's wombs or very early when they were born. Many of you out here are even born as Baptists. If I ask you, when did you come to faith? When did you believe in God? You'll say, I don't know. I just always believed. So some are born again at very young ages. Some are born again at mysterious times in the past. But all must be born again by the Spirit. The Spirit is thicker than blood. The family of God is heavier than your fleshly family or tribe you must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in the finished work of Christ you must be born again can I hear an amen to that verse 8 the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone born of the spirit born of the spirit we hear an echo here of the beginning we hear an echo of creation where the spirit of god was moving and creating and giving life in genesis chapter 2 verse 7 it says then the lord god formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature breathed into his nostrils the breath of life the word breath there is nismat it can be translated spirit breathed into his nostrils the Spirit of life. It was the Spirit who gave life in the beginning. It is Spirit who gives new life even now. The Spirit is the one that gives faith. The Spirit is the one that makes us alive. The third person of the triune God moves ahead of us, moves through us, moves upon us, and gives us the gift of faith. And the Spirit moves mysteriously, regenerating some, and not others God will do what God will do the spirit moves mysteriously through this age and friends I want to say don't automatically discount a movement because the theology is different don't look at Iran and go you know what those churches over there they seem to be led by women and they seem to be Pentecostal well God's going to do what God's going to do in places that are disordered where the faith is coming new God may move on college campuses in ways that we may not like in ways in which we might think are theologically disordered. But friends, if they are doing things in accordance with the Nicene Creed, then we need to pray for them to mature. But bless God for bringing the kingdom to places that we might not expect. The Spirit will move where the Spirit will move. And the Spirit moves mysteriously in this age. Going on to verse 9. Nicodemus said to Him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus is too caught up in his theology. He's too caught up in his contextual understanding. He can't see that the new age is breaking in. He can't see that the kingdom has arrived. He can't see that the king is sitting right before him. Going on to verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? If they, the authorities of Israel, will not receive testimony concerning what is happening before their eyes, how can they believe greater heavenly things? Now when you come here to John chapter 3, even though it's early in the Gospel of John, There's a lot that's already happened. There's a lot of water under the bridge. In fact, if you go back into chapter 2 and verse 23, you'll see this. And this lies in the background of Nicodemus and the reason why he comes to speak to Jesus. In John chapter 2, verse 23, it says Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Jesus was preaching the word, Jesus was preaching the arrival of the kingdom. Jesus was demonstrating in signs and wonders the coming of the kingdom. And friends, you've got to remember this. When you watch Jesus do signs, when you watch Jesus preach words, none of this is superfluous. Jesus is performing specific signs and wonders, showing that the kingdom has come, showing that He's Messiah. Jesus will raise the dead. Jesus will feed multitudes. Jesus will cast out demons. Jesus will walk on water. And men like Nicodemus wonder. They're drawn to Jesus. We'll see what happens with this. Going on to verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. No one has been to heaven and returned except me, says Jesus. He's the Son of Man. And as we've seen over the last several weeks, again, the Son of Man, this motif drawn from the Old Testament in places like the book of Daniel, we have this figure who looks like a man. And by the way, I want to say this. When you see the Son of Man, In the book of Daniel, it says that he's dressed in white and he has a a white beard. And so we've got this motif from Renaissance art of an old man with white hair and a beard. It's not saying that he's an old man with white hair. It's saying he's luminescent. Whoever this Son of Man is, his beard and his hair and his clothing glows white. He looks like a man, but he does the things of God. The Son of Man does that which is divine. Jesus says he's the Son of Man. Jesus says, says that He's been to heaven and returned. Look at what it says here. No one has ascended into heaven except He who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. I don't know about you, but that text has always perplexed me. Jesus seems to be speaking in past tense terms about ascending and descending already. Well, friends, I believe this is answered in the fact of theophanies. Theophanies or Christophanies are pre-appearances of God in either the form of what appears to be a man or looks like an angel or something. And who might be the one of the Godhead who would have appeared in prior times? Well, again, theologians believe that it was Jesus. Jesus is the one who appears before. Jesus is the one who comes to people and they think they're dealing with a man and at some point in their interaction, like Jacob wrestling with the man and a sudden realization that they're actually wrestling with God and they should have died. Their eyes have beheld things that they should not have seen. And who might this have been? It was Jesus test-driving humanity. Coming and going as a man so that one day He will come and stay as a man forever. Jesus took on human flesh. Jesus died. Jesus resurrected. And now those theophanies are taken up in permanent form as Jesus is both God and man The man Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father even now. And notice here what else we have. We've got this idea of a serpent in the wilderness. We see in the days of the wanderings in the wilderness, the people constantly grumbled. And so God disciplined His people. And at one point, He sent in poisonous snakes into the camp. And the people were bit, and they were dying. And Moses took a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. Of all things in the world, a bronze serpent on a pole. And the people who were bit by the poisonous snakes, they looked upon the bronze serpent on the pole and they were healed. Isn't that weird? Serpents! By the way, serpents are different than simply snakes. Serpents are poisonous snakes. But the bronze serpent lifted on the pole brings salvation. Why? Because God likes to bring re- reversals. The serpent of the garden in temptation, the poisonous serpents that bit the people become the serpent of salvation and the bronze serpent on the pole. In the same way as Jesus will be lifted up, the old Adam brought curses into the world. The old Adam brought the fall, but the last Adam reverses this and brings salvation for the whole world. Can I enter your name into that? And then probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Now friends, notice here. God loves the world. God loves His creation. In the beginning, God said it was good, 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 and very good with the creation of man. God loves His created order We're the ones that brought corruption into the world. But through a person, His Son, He saves people and He saves the world. Jesus was and is about something huge, the salvation and restoration of the cosmos. Jesus is about something huge. He's saving the world. So what happened to Nicodemus? You ever wondered that? Let's put these pieces together here for a second. Do a little detective work. It's kind of interesting because the book of John, in some ways, reads like Hebrew narrative. It doesn't give you answers on the surface. You've got to take little bits here and then you put them all together and you go, ooh, take a look at what we got here. We've got Nicodemus. He's recognizing the signs of Jesus. He comes at night secretly. Let's continue the story. In John chapter 7 and verse 50, here we've got the Jewish leaders and they. They want to put Jesus on trial. They're moving toward having Jesus put to death. They hate Jesus. They want to figure out a way to charge him with heresy. And in John chapter 7 and verse 50, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now we got Nicodemus coming out in the open and defending Jesus and they say are you from Galilee too? go and search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee and guess what I bet you he did I bet you he spent time looking into this matter and then Jesus goes to the cross and Jesus dies and we see that all the apostles run away except John at the cross but no one comes and takes care of Jesus's burial amongst the apostles but guess who does guess who does John chapter 19 and verse 39. Nicodemus also, so he's with Joseph of Arimathea, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. If you're thinking that's a lot of weight and that's a lot of money, you're right. That's big bucks. Thousands and thousands of dollars. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews, and they put it in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. A rich man who had a tomb in which no one had laid. A rich man who had a tomb for his family. They came and put Jesus' body in there. Think about that for a minute. Here we've got Nicodemus, a leader of the people of Israel. Here we've got Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy, influential Jew. And what do they do? If they thought Jesus was a heretic, if they thought Jesus was evil, if they thought Jesus was receiving at the cross that which he deserved, would they have gone to the Romans? claim the body, move the body of Jesus, take it into a tomb, a wealthy man's tomb, their own, expend a great deal of money for his burial, would they have done that? I submit that what you're looking at here is Nicodemus believing. I believe he believes that Jesus was unrighteously put to death, that he was a prophet of some sort. But I also believe the trajectory of what he's doing means... He's probably in the upper room with 120 on the day of Pentecost. Think about this for a minute. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea would have been exposed to the resurrection. It was in Joseph's tomb. And it was their burial materials. You think Joseph wouldn't have gone to the tomb at some point and gone, what happened here? There's nobody inside there. We expended thousands of dollars on this burial and there's nobody in here except some old linen cloths now bound up and the face cloth is folded up and now we're hearing stories of Jesus is alive and appearing to people I believe God in his wisdom puts those little breadcrumbs out there so you can do some detective work and go man that's cool church history tradition says that both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus became believers they were born again Marina had made a mess of things Born into a respectable family, she was once an honor student, but had fallen in with the wrong crowd, gotten into drug use, and looked around after 10 years and wondered, how did I get here? She'd had a child out of wedlock that she'd given up for adoption, had prostituted herself, been in and out of jail, and with her emaciated body and toothless mouth, she was used up and hopeless at the age of 28. If only she could start over. If only she could be born again. Well, guess what, friends? She can be. Because Jesus came into the world to bring new birth to the human wrecks that we have become since the fall. Redemption is always just a cry for mercy and repentance away. For Jesus came to take our blame and guilt in an act of unbelievable love and to reverse the curse of the fall. This morning we've seen new birth for the whole earth. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the new birth. We thank You for making that possible through Your Son who came and took on human flesh to die and arise from the dead and to give His life in exchange for ours. Eternal life, the gift of God. We thank You for it. May we spread the good news even this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I've heard from the Lord through his word, let us respond back with our tithes and offerings.